0: Adam Ferrara is an American actor and comedian known for playing the roles of Chief Needles Nelson on Rescue Me, Sergeant Frank Fiorelli opposite Edie Falco on Nurse Jackie. He was a co-host on the US version of Top Gear. He has had three Comedy Central specials and his new album is called It's Scary in Here. Adam's new podcast is a big hit and available everywhere.
1: Sounds like it could be funny.
0: Sounds to me like 30 minutes you'll never get back.
1: Checking us out for the first time. Either way, we are glad you are here. And we have another great show for you this week. My guest in the ADD interview is an Emmy-winning and Oscar-nominated director-producer. And his latest project is the Belushi documentary on Showtime that I friggin' loved. And I'm so glad he made time for us. He is R.J. Cutler. And we want to welcome everyone from our Talk To Me Tuesday family, which is our conversation we have every week, 9 o'clock Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Go to my website, click the link, and join us. And our superfan shout-out is for Maddie. Say hi to Maddie, everybody.
2: Hey, Maddie. Hey, Maddie.
1: Maddie. And I want to apologize to you guys before we start because uh, I, I'm a little hungry.
2: Right now? Yeah. Go get them.
1: huh? Yeah, I I, I was going to have a ricochet biscuit. What? Yes, a ricochet biscuit is that kind, that particular brand of biscuit that's supposed to bounce back off the wall into your mouth. And if it don't bounce back, you go hungry. Bow, bow, bow. <laughs> <laughs> what? That was great. That was great. That, that, that's Rubber Biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> the song uh, biscuit? is called Rubber Biscuit. Yeah. Rubber Biscuit, and it was by the it was by the Blues Brothers. It was on Briefcase Full of Blues.
2: Uh-oh. Yeah,
1: and that so that was cool. one of the Blues Brothers album. was uh, was one of the albums I just I, I had the cassette tape and I just played the hell out of it. Yeah, baby.
2: I can't believe that that was really them playing. I, I thought they were no, know,
1: no, with- no. That was that was uh, uh, was Dan Aykroyd as Elwood playing the harp. They were really singing. And uh, crazy. Yeah. And that 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 music, the, the documentary opens with the Blues brothers at the Universal Amphitheater opening for Steve Martin. And I had that cassette when I was a kid and I never saw what the concert looked like. So that opening scene just had me riveted. That's the visual
2: of the cassette that I played the hell out of in my oh in my car. <laughs>
1: Great.
2: <laughs> was it more or I mean, did you get more out of it?
1: I did. I did it because I, it was twofold. It brought me back to being a kid, just listening to that mm-hmm. music, and then I got to see what it actually looked like. And because uh, that they the Blues Brothers actually opened the door for that music to me uh, when I was a kid. Well, just,
2: I never knew that.
1: Oh yeah, I mean they had all the Downchild Blues band from uh, Chicago, um, King Floyd who had the song "Groove Me, Groove Me, Baby." I need your groove.
2: I'm learning a whole new side of you. Adam. Oh, it was great. And Rubber biscuit was by
1: <laughs> Rubber biscuit was by the Chips.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah,
1: that by was the Chips. Yeah, it was the Chips. Yeah, it was a great band too. It was it was uh uh, uh Steve was... the Colonel Cropper and Donald Duck Dunn from Stack Records in uh in Memphis. the the, the horn section was Blue Lou, Blue Marini. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah Tom
1: yeah. Bones Malone, Mark Bones Malone, <laughs> baby. Yeah, Bones. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Fabulous. <laughs> I- Willie nope. too big hall was the uh oh, yeah. the drummer, yeah. The drummer yeah, 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 yeah. and uh, there was there was a couple of them. oh Matt Guitar Murphy played a yeah. Gibson
2: SG. I love how they have all these weird names. Yeah, it was great. <laughs>
1: they were characters too, and they were great. And the guy who came up with the Blues Brothers name was Howard Shaw. You remember Howard Shaw and his all-nurse band? All From nurse? Sa- all, God, they dress like nurses. <laughs> <Goodness>. <laughs>
2: That, wow. cool. They yeah. were a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. They were a lot of fun. They were all and they were they were high as a Georgia pine. They all dressed <laughs> as nurses. Yeah, they were dressed like Howard Shore and his old nurse band on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. <laughs> Early Saturday right. Night Live. So yeah, so that's what got me stern when I saw that first scene in the documentary.
3: It it pulled me right in too. I mean, that's one of the first albums I remember stealing from my brother. Mm-hmm. Like, I wanna listen to this. Cause at first it was um uh rubber biscuit, because it just was so funny. Yeah. And then you start. Then lit- you get pulled into all the music, and you're like, "This isn't like a comedy album. No, this is like a real music album." I and like you, I had not been introduced to any of that kind of music, and that was it. Just opened up so many doors for me. And you're and I love that music now, probably more than any other style of music. Mm-hmm. And it's because I think of those origins with Belushi and Aykroyd making that thing together.
1: Yeah, Phil, you saw the Blues Brothers movie, right? Many, many times.
4: I just I absolutely loved it. And, and uh, you know, I love that. What kind of car did they drive?
1: 74 Dodge Monaco. That was a great car, like driving through the mall. That was the, that was the best. We did that on Top Gear. I drove, through, I drove a, a Fiat 500 through a mall. Oh, saying? my God. That's great.
3: Oh, what a great movie. Well, think about this, okay? That probably started out as a very late- who knows what kind of things they're under the influence of, but Aykroyd and Belushi screwing around, which is probably where a lot of their bits came from. Mm-hmm. And then it evolved and it evolved. And then all of a sudden, it, the next thing you know, it's not only that they're doing it on stage, but they're actually a real band killing it. Yeah. And then it becomes a movie and not just a movie, like the number one movie. I mean, it was a huge, huge hit. Yeah. It's still one of the seminal comedies
2: of all time. Well, I, what I liked is the look. The look? The look, oh, it was yeah. cool. They're yeah. in a suit. With the glasses and they had like a groove down, you know what I mean? Yeah. I like they that. look like
1: Hasidic diamond merchants. <laughs> what do they want to eat? Yeah. One wants toast, dry. The other one wants four fried chickens and a Coke. <laughs>
2: Coke. You're quoting the movie, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay.
4: Of course, so of course. Yes. There's they, like I... there's count, you know, Countless. We're on a mission from God.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Adam, you you're know? really hungry.
1: Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> they, they wrecked 104 cars in that movie, which was a world record. What? Yeah, the the, oh. the scene in the movie that they wrecked 104 cars.
2: Did that make you cry? No, I liked it. Because <laughs> <laughs> usually when yeah. we see cars, especially like old Jags get killed in a movie you're like oh oh oh, oh. yeah we we're watching <laughs> we,
1: boys. we were watching columbo the other night um, and there was a 72 jagged guy drove off a cliff i'm like you couldn't kill a guy in a freaking subaru <laughs> <laughs>
2: jag was a piece of <laughs> art. <laughs> oh, that's, <laughs>
1: that's, that's,
2: true i have great. to calm you yeah. down after yeah
1: Remember remember when uh the National Guard came to get them at the end of- Yeah, and the SWAT guys? Hut, hut Do
0: you
1: yeah. know how much that scene cost? That scene cost three point two million dollars for that wow. joke. What yeah it had to. They had yeah. helicopters flying around when they do the overhead.
3: There's like yep. a
2: million people storming the streets. Yeah. yeah. Was it real military? Yeah, they had everybody and it cost three point two million dollars. <laughs> you know, Adam, yeah. This is why I get scared if you ever want to be a director because this is the stuff that you would think of.
1: Hell yeah, we need a budget.
2: You would think of the, I mean, what you thought about on Top Gear. Yeah, I can just only imagine. Yep, I like if straight. you had unlimited funds, yeah, what yep. you would come up with. I know CGI I
4: know. is for pussies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember. I remember our executive producer John Hesling would go. Listen, we we can't afford a submarine. Think of something <laughs> yeah.
3: else. <laughs> yeah. Please tell me when they said when you wouldn't give the submarine, you'd be like, well, I guess then we don't care about doing a great show, then. Yeah. Do we. <laughs> Apparently, I, I'm alone here. Am I alone? That's <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm the only one thinking about the audience. You guys
1: stick to your budget. I found this fact about the Blues Brothers movie uh that blew me away. It was blessed by John Paul II. What? No kidding. Yep. The Pope was in Chicago, came to the movie set, blessed the set, and there's a picture of Belushi kissing oh, the so ring. Great. Yeah. I'll post it Yes, I got the picture That was great It was blessed by the Pope So they really were On a mission from God
2: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah We're on a mission from God <laughs> That's pretty funny for musicians Yeah I, I, I'll
4: tell you one thing I just want to say About the Blues Brothers We had Machio on not long ago And he mm-hmm. was saying That uh, late for dinner movies That's that, that's the Blues Brothers yeah. That movie comes on You're late for dinner yep. yeah. yeah Gotta stick with it Yeah, you stop flipping oh, I'm, I'm in I'm watching the Blues Brothers um, Yeah,
2: I want to go back to the Pope Can you imagine Whoever invited him dear papa please come to our set I mean how did that happen I just fixed a John
1: John Paul goo in this you mean the guy in the bee costume (laughs) 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 yeah I had such a good time watching the documentary I highly recommend it and I really want to thank uh, R.J. Cutler for making time for us you guys give a listen to this and we'll see you on the other side
5: so I guess people pretty well know that we're, you know, that he's Jake and I'm Elwood. Uh, I know these are the, the characters, the alter egos we take on, you know. <laughs> really, it's a theatrical thing.
1: Like, like you know, a Greek theater has the mask, you know. Well, the Blues Brothers have the shades and the sunglasses. And the soul it's like, patch. And the soul patch and the, and the, the suits. They Not look bad. like Hasidic diamond merchants.
5: <laughs> You're listening to the Adam Ferrara Podcast. This is 30 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Y'all know these episodes are longer than 30 minutes, right?
0: Right? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now.
1: Hi, guys. i got a couple of stand-up dates for you. December 18th and 19th, I will be at the Draft House in Arlington, Virginia. And for New Year's Eve, I will be at Helium in St. Louis. I'll put a link for tickets right here in the show notes, or you can go to my website. I would love to see you there. And if you can make it to any of these gigs, please come up after and say hello. I'd like to thank you for all the love you've shown me and this podcast. All shows are socially distanced and totally safe. I'm funny and disinfected.
5: Pay attention when I'm talking to you, boy.
1: ADHD. It's not just for kids.
5: Nice boy, but doesn't listen to a word you say.
1: Welcome to the ADD interview. It's not that you're not interesting. It's just that I can't focus. And my guest this week is... Oh, look, a bird! My guest this week is a filmmaker, documentarian, television producer, and theater director. From his humble beginnings in the shadows of Leonard's of Great Neck to graduating (laughs) magna cum laude from Harvard... Uh, he has won Emmys, Peabody's, and his very first documentary, The War Room, was nominated for an Academy Award. His latest project is the Showtime documentary, Belushi, which I thoroughly enjoyed, and I'm very grateful he has made time for us today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's R.J. Cutler. How are you,
5: pal? I'm excellent, and I'm delighted to hear uh, the invocation of Leonard's of Great Neck. Where they... do we, uh, we could spend an hour talking about Leonard's, if you want.
1: I've been there. I've stood
5: under the or I've wished friends well. <laughs> I I attended uh, multiple bar mitzvahs simultaneously there.
1: Yeah, Great Neck Long Island my friend. Uh, it, it's it's it's, it's, it's the right. one stop before Boca if I if...
5: <laughs> It is. There's a direct there's a direct connect. If you find the proper the proper road in Kings Point, you can get the Boca <laughs> in 10 minutes.
1: Yeah, all you got to do is change at Jamaica. You can take the <laughs> That's train. That's right. That's correct. a mets fan too yeah a long-suffering mets jets fan i got a lot of yeah
5: boy do we suffer but the future is as always the future is bright
1: yeah well actually the future (laughs) is uncertain and the end is always near but that's another documentary
5: (laughs) it is it's true it's yeah
1: so yeah you're an island kid as am i um and you're a storyteller my friend
5: yeah sure
1: was there story story storytelling in the house what did mom and dad do
5: well, actually, I was a little bit of the black sheep. Uh, mm-hmm. Everybody in my family's in the medical profession, and nobody could understand why I didn't enjoy hanging out with Dad at the at the hospital mm. when he'd make his rounds, or uh, in in his office. My my sisters a, a even runs a, a medical center. My my brothers a, a physician. My you know everybody everybody's a doctor. Grew up to be a doctor, so they somehow they and I was the the kid who. Uh, I don't know. You know, I just love the theater. Mm-hmm. I was. I grew up. I loved putting. I'd we we'd tear up old Charlie Brown books and and make plays out of them and right. put them on in the on the ball on the ball field in the elementary school. It was just what I was into.
1: Yeah, and you do it in so many different forms. You do it in, in television. You do it in theater. You do it in, uh, uh, in documentary style. Is there one form that you prefer? Uh,
5: you know, it tends time as times change and as I go through different work, I. Find myself enjoying different uh, genres mm-hmm. these days. I'm working a lot in nonfiction, and I'm loving it. And you know, I, I guess it's part because partly because uh, the times we live in, my friend. <laughs> what a you know, uh, we're the Chinese curse. Yeah, the times are interesting, and uh, but it's it's not a curse for for documentary filmmakers. And uh, as you say, I, I I I just finished, and we premiered a film about John Belushi, which has been. Uh, a great adventure and that's on Showtime now. We're mm-hmm. finishing up a film about Billie Eilish that will be in in theaters and uh, and on Apple TV Plus in February. And and I think we launched a new company that really specializes in nonfiction called This Machine. Mm-hmm. So we're we're doing a lot in the in the documentary space, and and it's 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 a, it's a blast.
1: Okay, well, let's get into the Belushi thing because I thoroughly enjoyed it. I uh, uh, and I think you just did a great job in telling that story. And I can imagine it must have been pretty difficult to get that thing greenlit. Uh, I mean, just having his wife Judy's involvement in it uh, after the the Woodward book came out.
5: Well, you know, there was a direct that was a direct obstacle. My uh, my producing partner on this project is a man named John Batsick. John and I had produced a film together. Uh, about Marlon Brando, called "Listen to Me, Marlon," mm-hmm. and uh, that was also on Showtime. And and when we were finishing it up, uh, he, he he and I were having lunch one day, to, and I told him that I the next thing we did, I'd love to direct. And he said, "Well, you know, I, I've been I've spent the last ten years trying to get Judy Belushi to say yes to making a film about uh, about John Belushi. Mm-hmm. And I said, "My God, you know, for and listen, I I." I was 14 when Saturday Night Live launched, and I, you know, I, I had listened to John on the radio hour even before that, and mm-hmm. and and so I, I, you know, I I couldn't be, the idea that it might happen, you know, that there there might be a chance to make a film about him thrilled me. And, uh, and, and I said to John Batsik, send her the, send her, listen to me, Marlin. let's see what she thinks. Mm -hmm. Maybe she'll change her mind. And of course, the reason she had resisted was because of the Woodward book. They had just kind of, after the Woodward book Wired, they had just, which came out maybe just a year after John died, they, the family just felt burned, you know, they felt like he had, he had, uh, he had a thesis and he, he pursued the thesis in the book, but he didn't really write a book about who John was and who John was as a, as an artist and, and what John's life was really like. He wrote a lot about John's death Mm -hmm. and, um, and certainly he didn't explore uh, the issue of addiction in any way. Um, And, uh, and so they, you know, they just locked everything down. Sure. And she, then she looked at Listen to Mar- Me, Marlon, and invited us up to the vineyard to spend a, a few days with her, get to know each other. And while we were spending time together up there, she uh, she said she'd love us to make the film.
1: Yeah, I I remember, because uh, we're, we're the same age, and I think we had the same experience when it came to Belushi, you know, in the same... I could just see it in your eyes. I mean, that's what happens when I saw him, was that you were... I was drawn to the energy that he was, I was like, look at this guy. You know, you never saw that much That's right. unbridled energy and it was seductive and it was a little dangerous because you didn't know what was going to happen.
5: You're you're so right. I, yeah. I, I, and you say, you call it seductive, which was the thing you would find yourself thinking about him after the show was yeah. over. Yeah, You know, you wanted it, you wondered where he went after the show. You wonder who he hung out with and mm-hmm. then you'd hear stories about you know there was a whole other world that John Belushi inhabited and you you found yourself curious about that you didn't think that about Chevy nah. you didn't think that about Gilda they were you know as much as they made you laugh as much as you loved them as much as you admired them if you did but about John you really kind of wondered about the whole life and that was a that was a brand new thing
1: yeah and i think one of the, one of the issues with the woodward book was one he was an investigative journalist so he was looking for what happened yeah. and it it was i think the timing was way too early because the country didn't grieve yet we weren't we didn't come to a place where we wanted to find out what happened we were still missing him we were we were not over the pain of grief and
5: yeah and also i don't you know it turns out that bob's gift which is of course formidable and has, he's demonstrated it with dozens of books through his career is, is not in the biography as much as it is. in the as you say, in the, in the reportage, he can, he can get you on the record and he can get a lot of people on the record and he knows how to play his sources off of each other. And he knows how to get the juice out of them. And Mm -hmm. he, you know, his, his um, he's done it president after president, but that doesn't mean he was well-suited for a book about somebody like John Belushi. And look, you know, it's, I think it's, it's, it's not surprising that he never wrote about, uh, anything outside of the the Washington beltway uh, after he wrote pollution.
1: Yeah. And, uh, that, that's why when I, when, when this came out and, and I saw Judy's participation, when I, when I got the, when I first heard about this project, I went, ah, somebody did some work. Somebody, ah. somebody showed up with flowers. Well, yeah. Well,
5: that's, it gets all those. And, and by the way, what early on, uh, Judy, as I understand it, Judy sent she her way of getting rid of John Batzik was to, to encourage him to have lunch with Jim Belushi, <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, and the two of them sat down for lunch. And as I understand it, it was very brief lunch. Yes. Uh, and 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 and. Uh, uh, Jim explained to John in no uncertain terms that he wouldn't be making a film about his brother. Mm. But uh, but God bless him, I have to tell you, one of our biggest supporters since since he saw the film has been Jim Belushi, and he has uh, he has he's taken to social media with a with a great enthusiasm for it, and and of course his voice in the film is so important, and we're yeah. I'm so grateful to him for it. But but uh, I'm glad it I'm glad it wasn't me at that lunch. Is all I have to <laughs> say.
1: <laughs> well, you did. It. I can see why he was taken with it. I, I was uh, not. A, I it was enchanted with John when he came out and the documentary. I've seen more than once because it brought back that feeling and the way you told the story and the elements you used. I'll be honest with you. I didn't think they were going to make sense, and they all work from the animation. Mm-hmm. Was it Robert Valley's? Robert Valley's animation. Yes. And yes. for those of you who are not familiar with Robert Valley, he's the guy that did the gorillas. That's right. So I saw. I went. That's the. So what? (laughs) What it did for me, and and you had John's letters, his personal letters that he wrote to Judy. That I think was it. Billy Billy Hader. Bill Bill Hader. Yeah. Bill Hader. Yeah. He, he, He he voiced those over, and those were great. And the device I loved was the interviews you used as the narrative. You used people that were there from all these classic interviews you had as the narrative that told the story.
5: Well, th- what happened, I mean, it's it, all these things we're talking about tied together because uh, after the Woodward book, mm-hmm. Judy decided, you know, somebody's got to do an oral history about John, where where the subject is his, who he was, what his life was like, uh, what it was like to live with him, as opposed again to what, what the end of his life was like. And so she and... Um, uh and a, a journalist named Tanner Colby set out to do all these interviews and they interviewed some by phone some on video all over the place they just anytime they could do it sometimes there was music in, in playing in another room sometimes it just was uh the, the, the format was almost beside the point, mm. and, and there was a rawness to the quality, but it was also, this was also a year, two years, three years after John passed away, so the memories were fresh. This, for many of these people, many of the people talking in these interviews, this oral history, it was the first time or one of the first times they had told these stories about John. Well, that makes it completely different than if 30 years later you go around to people and say, do you remember that time in 1970, whatever? And people can barely remember it. So so the interviews in our film, which Judy gave us the permission to use that whole pile of audio tapes, it has a rawness, it has an immediacy, it has a freshness, it's very Belushi. And that's, that's, we were, we were very fortunate to get access to that. First time I heard it, I knew we were, we, we, we had hit the, you know, struck oil.
1: Yeah. And I love the fact that, because that was communicated to me as well as not seeing them put them as they were in my mind. And you juxtapose that with the animation you used. Y- you know, like, <laughs> it was like a graphic novel. I was like, well, oh, this that
5: was our, that's what we wanted. That's what we hoped for.
1: Yeah. And Robert Valley, the outlaw
5: animator. I mean, you know, that guy's not even allowed in the States. I don't even know why I, I was told <laughs> not to ask, but, um, uh, he, uh, he's, uh, he's brilliant. He's yeah. just a brilliant animator. And then the first time he showed me young John, the young boy. Yeah. Uh, knocking on the door of his neighbor's house at three years old to do asking if he wants a performance in the living room uh, in the living room, and I saw that little boy. I I, I said to him, you know, we gotta that that kid's got to be there the whole time. He's got to be at the Chateau Marmont at the end. That yeah, little boy, and he got it. Valley got it and delivered. It was great.
1: That was choice, really- yeah, because because what I did like about the film is you presented you you presented the film without drawing any conclusions, but the mm. one the one. Brief kind of conclusion when that little kid showed up again at at the Chateau Martmont. that that got my attention because I was like, he's not hinting as the drug use. He's not he's he's not concluding of why he's the drug use. But there's some unhealed part of that little boy that's present in this moment, I thought. Was that intentional?
3: Uh,
5: uh, Of course. uh, And not just the drug use, but listen, we uh, you know, I've got a five year old daughter. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's that's the person. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly you live your life and you and things happen and people go through all sorts of experiences that 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 define who they are. But you're pretty formed at five. And, you know, we you, you know that about yourself and your friends. And then when you th- this is one of the first biography re- films I've really ever made. I, I generally do films about people who are alive and, you know, it's a year in their life or an event in their life or something like that. And in this case, I was looking at a whole life, and one of the things you, you, you really understand when you're doing that is we're, we're, you know, we we are the people we were when we were little kids, and uh, certainly John was, and Judy really responded to that because Mm -hmm. she knew him when he was, you know, fifteen. Yeah, they met in school. Yeah, in high school, they were kids in the, mm-hmm. and they 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 fell in love in high school. She was a sophomore, he was he was a senior, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know it was, and then they were together the rest of their lives. And she knew the little boy within. Right. Um, and so there you go.
1: She actually said uh, in in the film, one of the notes, "I just I know he, I have to trust that he loves me," mm-hmm. which is a, a quote that stuck with me because you know addicts put people through a lot. I'm, I love a lot of drug addicts and a lot of drunks and, you know, they, you go through a lot. Uh, uh, once you, once you stop being an enabler, you have to go through a lot. Um, and when she yeah. said, you have to trust that he loves me, because even in the letters that were written, I, I will try to do better. This was wrong. He, he had a self-awareness and one letter that just killed me. R.J. was when he said, I think I may have gone too far.
5: Yeah. 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 You know what? I, I think a lot about the fact that the, uh, they didn't have the
1: tools that yeah. we have
5: to yeah. confront the addiction.
1: Oh, the fame. I mean, that level, of, first of all, John died in 82. Betty Ford just opened up in 82. I say, I say this
5: all the time. The Betty Ford Clinic opened the year that John Belushi died. Yeah. So what's a guy to do?
1: And that um, level of fame and that you hit the number yeah. one album, the number one movie that he's on a TV show, that le- yeah. you're soaring at those heights and there's no yeah. net. Whatever you want is there at the speed of thought that's correct you know and and what
5: are the those who love him so judy you know judy says in the film she thought about an intervention but she didn't she couldn't picture doing that to him mm-hmm. so this was a time where an intervention was seen as a as a, as as an attack in a way, it sure. wasn't a way to help somebody. It was a way to you know, it was doing something against their will. Mm. Well, she didn't want to do something. She didn't want to wait till he fell asleep and then have people remove him bodily from from his home. Right. And and that those were among the options. Also, it was a, it was stigmatized addiction. Sure. You know, everybody was having a good time taking drugs, partying. It was the sixties and the seventies. They didn't realize the the, the devastating impact. And also, it was hard to recognize. It was hard to recognize the disease, yeah. and um, and it so wasn't. And it, it wasn't was classified judgment.
1: as a disease. It was not classified that way. So, and these
5: are not excuses. These are just facts. And um, and you rightly point out the fame. You know, we say uh, uh, w- w- the Betty Ford Clinic didn't come around till the same year John died. People Magazine didn't come around till the year before Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. Fame was new. Sure. Uh, uh, um, this kind of celebrity culture was new A- and, and the price paid. I mean, you see it in the film. John John has this outrageous idea that his private life is his own, mm-hmm. that it's none of your business what happens in his home. It's none of your business who his dad was, that, that, that he, he, he's happy to talk to you about work, but he doesn't want to talk to you about his private life. That's his private life. Well, w- we were in the process of tearing privacy away from, People who are in the public eye, and now, of course, look look where we are.
1: Yeah, fame always reminds me of that that line from Bronx Tale from Chaz Palminteri. Now nah, you just can't leave. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Yeah, but tough. But the joy he gave to people, I just want to, and, and that, and that is what you also presented. In in the documentary, and you did it so Thank well. You. It hooked me from scene one because you start off with the footage of them at the amphitheater. I think it was in '78, the Blues Brothers concert, and sure. I remember RJ. I had that cassette. <laughs> I had that. I played the hell. Of, they opened up the door to the blues. King yeah. Floyd. Uh, uh, um, all, all the stuff that I didn't. I never knew of all those yeah. guys, and I was like, wow, look at all this. Look at all these these people. Tom Bones Malone. Oh, that horn section. The L.A. Express. Yeah. Yeah, you know, all
5: the, the greatest band in the world. And they were doing it in a way that kind of blew your mind, not just because the music was so amazing, but they were playing these characters. Yeah. It was it was like performance art before performance art existed. You know, and you didn't know that's why we opened the film that way. You see the audience is delirious. Mm-hmm. They can't contain themselves. They're it's it's so thrilling. It's theater, it's larger than life, it's these characters. John's doing these cartwheels. The music's unbelievable. It really was a it was a real kind of entertainment breakthrough. And then it wasn't just live performance; it was movies, mm-hmm. it was record albums. They that,
1: that that this invention of John's kind of conquered the world. Yeah, and, and Animal House. If you go if you look at Animal House, the script, that 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 all those big letters. There was nothing on the page. Yeah, that was all him. Pretty, that wasn't mm-hmm. on the page.
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: John walks down the cafeteria aisle. That that that's a five minute sequence. It's hysterical. That ends with "See what you can guess what I am now." I mean,
5: yeah. John 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 climbs up the steps to Dean Wormer's uh, the administration building.
1: Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. John falls backwards on a ladder with that look on his face, (laughs) and that was that first kind of. uh, I had I had Ralph Macchio uh, on the show, and he did up the academy. Which yeah. was a movie they had after Lampoon's after that exploded, the mm-hmm. National Lampoon's name on it. So Mad Magazine put his name, put their name on that movie, and mm-hmm. you could see mm-hmm. the tone they were going for. It was it wasn't a ripoff of it was like in the same vein as, mm-hmm. didn't even come close. I mean, yeah, I, I yeah, love yeah. Ralph; he's a good friend, but but yeah. John was a force of nature, and he did that. I'm I'm telling you, he did that as he was shooting, as he was shooting May- Saturday Night Live. They flew him yeah. in.
5: Yeah.
1: He, uh, yeah. he had back and forth, back and forth weekends. He'd come in on
5: Wednesday night or Thursday morning. Uh, not easy, not yeah. easy, but a man of, uh, listen, he was nothing if not passionate and passionate about his work and recognized the opportunity. And, you know, all the stories from, from, uh, Animal House are, are stories of, um, of great joy mm-hmm. and and family gathering. Yeah. And uh, and that was another thing about John. You know, they say that from the earliest age, if you invited John Belushi to come somewhere, he'd show up with nine other people. And that was his thing. He just he, whether it was football practice or play practice or 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 to go hear a band or to or to you know do some improv. He'd bring his gang with him. And that was, that was who he was. And eventually, look who his gang was. Yeah. It was Dan Aykroyd. It was Bill Murray. It was Gilda Radner. It was Harold Ramis. It was uh, um, uh, Brian Doyle Murray. It was all these amazing people that he gathered around him and helped elevate them all to higher heights.
1: Yeah. And he, uh, Aykroyd tells a story how they, they couldn't find him. They couldn't find yeah. him on the set of the Blues Brothers. Yeah. Yeah. So he just starts wandering around. He knocks yeah. on some guy's door. Says, "Hi, we're shooting a movie down here. We're trying to find but Belushi. Yeah, he's in. He's on my couch. Yeah, he went in. He ate. It was America's guest. I'm hungry. Hey, it's John Belushi. Yeah, 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 yeah. Got any chicken? He ate yeah. and passed out on the couch, watching the hockey game. Yeah, who wouldn't have him watching but, the Hawks? Yeah, that was great. I had uh, I worked with Tim Matheson a couple of times, and uh-huh. and he was telling me stories about. It was a whirlwind when John came in. He said, yeah. you know, they would shoot during the week. And then when, when when John came in, it was just it was a different energy. It was entirely mm-hmm. different energy. Mm-hmm. And he facilitated that. My question to you about that, did you get a sense of a point in his life when that attraction to other people became detrimental to him? Was there a sense of when it started turning for you?
5: I, I think that my sense is that it was the fame, and mm-hmm. um, I, I, I think it's Carrie. Uh, it's it's I think it's Carrie Fisher in the film who says it. It 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 may be somebody else, but uh, I think it may maybe it's Penny Marshall who says. You know, at first he he was attracted to it,
1: mm-hmm.
5: and then he was he felt haunted by it. Yeah, and it 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 it, it wouldn't let him go. And he couldn't escape it. And you hear this a lot, you know, you 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 hear it a lot. Uh, you can't go out on the street. You can't get away. Um, but I don't think he ever lost his his love for the gathering, his for the community, yeah. for the um and then, um uh, there's there's a couple of interesting things. Lauren says something really interesting around the time that John leaves Saturday night live. he he he's quoted in a magazine actually talking about the fact that uh, he felt John gave up what he was truly meant to do mm. in, in search of something that he thought he should want as opposed to what he really wanted. And you, you get the sense that what Lorne, what Lorne saw for John in Saturday Night Live was the opportunity to do all the stretching that he wanted um, and all the growing, but without Hollywood. Mm-hmm. without being a movie star and but john john chose differently i don't know if it's true but you know when i when i imagine what lauren michaels was going through when those guys first left he he you know he probably he probably imagined them being more like python staying together forever yeah why would that group break up and you know why it didn't have to break up python stayed together you know until they were done doing their thing and um And, but the Saturday night live, the not ready, the original, not ready for primetime players did break up and they, and Chevy left. That was an anomaly. They could have stayed together for years and years and years. They chose to leave. They were more the Beatles than the stones. And, um, and you have to imagine that Lauren, Lauren would wondered what would have been like if they had all stayed together.
1: Yeah. And he, he had his hands full dealing with everybody. I mean, there was the one scene in the movie where he was just, the doctor was there. And yeah. he was like, I can't, he's, he's so he's so out of his mind, he can't go on. And the doctor goes, he might die if he goes on. And Lauren asks him, what are the odds? He goes, 50-50. And Lauren says, I can live with that. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah. and he went on. Yeah. And he was terrible. It, was, it was, And he was terrible. He was terrible. But it, it, in getting back to what you said about chasing something or something he thinks he should have had, there was a... Uh, Bruce McGill, who played D-Day in, yeah. um, in, in Animal House, uh, he had a quote when John would introduce him. This is my friend Bruce, and he's a hell of an actor. And in the documentary, um, you play the tape where Bruce asked John why he does that. You know, why do you introduce me like that, John? You're an actor, too. And he goes, "Now, Bruce, you're an actor. I'm a sketch player.
5: Yeah. Well, I think John always saw himself kind of where he came from, which was mm-hmm. Second City. He was an improv guy. Right. But, of course, what he aspired to... He, he, he You know, his real hero was Brando. Mm-hmm. The, the, the person who he was impersonating at the dinner table when he was four and five years old was Marlon Brando. Uh, he could have been a contender. Yeah. And, I, and I think he, and you know, there's a moment where Gene Shalit asks him, I think it's Gene Shalit, uh, uh, um, unless it's uh, Gene Siskel, uh, said, says to him, who is the real John Belushi? Mm. And John says, I'm just an actor. I'm just an actor. But so I think he, that's what he wanted. That's the direction he was going to stretch himself in next. But I also think this was a man who was constantly going to be reinventing himself, constantly going to be stretching. In that way, I think Lauren Michaels may have been wrong in his assessment, because you, a, 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 a formatted television show couldn't contain John's vision, his ambition, his desire to stretch, to do new things, to reinvent, Mm -hmm. to, to, to be a performance artist more than anything else. So, um, so I just, I just, I see him um, perhaps feeling trapped in that early definition as a sketch player, but always aspiring for more.
1: What, now, let me ask you this. What is the... Do you sense, in your opinion, what is the drive to make him aspire for more? Because I got a theory.
5: Uh, I'd love to hear your theory. And um, uh, I don't know, you know, what 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 drives any of us? You know, there is... Uh, there's that same dissatisfaction. Mm-hmm. There's that same need to entertain. That's mm-hmm. the that same desire to connect. Um, there's that same gift. I mean, the man had this enormous gift. How many people can have the number one record album, the number one one comedy movie of all time, and be the star of the number one television show all at the same time, all by
1: the time you're 30? I mean, he had that talent, but the drive, you you tell me, what did you see? He was looking for the ability to enjoy it. That's why he kept going. I mean, I can only... He said, in one of the books I read before, He said, and I think he used the quote, too. He said, uh, uh, I'd rather be an anarchist than a professional. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Brando was an anarchist. I mean, yeah. you, ever, you ever read the st- story behind the island of Dr. Moreau? That's fucking yeah. nuts. He's, yeah, yeah. I'm going to show up with this white makeup on. Okay, we'll shoot it that way. You know, he's, he's out of his fucking mind. But he was an anarchist. He was like the Joker. He wants to burn the city just to watch it burn. John mm. was a control freak so he wanted to if i get it right it's an if then bet in your head if i get it right then i'll be able to experience if i get it right then i'll be able to feel the satisfaction of what i got
5: well in in that way i would say he was um he was always tearing down barriers Mm -hmm. and and he was always exposing himself to the new you know it takes a lot of balls shit yeah it really. It's I'll a, do this, gotta, but if
1: you if you given the tools he had and the, the energy that he had access to, hmm. well, I can do that because I can do anything. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, uh, um,
5: what's the word? Irrepressible. Mm-hmm. Unstoppable. You yeah. know, really a force of a force of nature and. Um, uh, and it's why we still feel the tragedy. Look, it's all these years later. We feel it as as, as the people who are coming of age. Mm-hmm. I, I hear from I can't tell you the people I've been hearing from the last few weeks. It's uh, and it ripples around the world to this day.
1: Yeah, I th- and I think you did uh, an excellent job uh, not only present presenting this and protecting the memory of him for the people that were there and experienced it the first time, but showing people who weren't there what it what this was and as a kid the best thing you could do is fight like hell to stay up late on saturday night live <laughs> on saturdays and mondays in art class do the sketches again that's and you right. didn't really understand what you were doing but you were acting it out i had no yeah. idea that i want to feed your fingertips to the wolverines i didn't know <laughs> what i was saying yeah but when i said well, it they I, left. but
5: how incredible that that's how they began the mm-hmm. entire legacy of saturday night live begins with John Belushi uh, in the immigrant sketch. It's it's really striking. And forever Saturday Night Live wants to be the outsider, the immigrant, Mm -hmm. John Belushi, looking in, almost without language, mm-hmm. transcending language, uh, which is another big part of who he was. You know, he grows up in a family where the the woman who raises him, his grandmother doesn't speak a word of English. Right. Otherwise English in the household is the second language. His father doesn't speak it well. And it, it's an issue that every, all the, the kids understand. It's a source of his frustration that he can't speak English well. He thinks it makes him suffer in business. And... Um, and John becomes one of the greatest wordless comics of all time. Yeah. What's our poster? It's his eyebrow raise. Well, how does the movie begin with his eyebrow raise? Uh, it's, it's what he, um, what, it's how he first connected to
1: us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you did a great job, pal. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. And I thank you for being here today. It's a pleasure. And what a, what a, what a blast to chat and um, I'll, I'll see you at Leonard's. <laughs> you got it, my friend. Be well. Right. Best to you and the family. Peace. Thanks so much. The Adam for a podcast is brought to you by cruiseintowellness.com. Cruiseintowellness.com for all your CBD needs. And with the holidays coming up, it is a great place to go for those hard to buy for people. And by hard to buy for people, of course, I mean your pain in the ass relatives. Get them a gift card at Cruise Into Wellness. You don't have to worry about, oh, is it the right size? This is the wrong color. I don't know if it's going to fit here. Take this card, go get some of this stuff, and put it under your tongue. You're driving me crazy, Aunt Jerry. In the world of anxiety, you are a carrier. CruiseintoWellness.com. Twenty percent off with the coupon code Adam. Twenty percent off anything they have at CruiseIntoWellness.com. Go, feel better. This
5: is RJ Cutler, and that was thirty minutes. I'll never get back.
2: Well, how much fun did you have, Adam? Yeah, I got to ask him <laughs> all kinds
1: of questions. And he's an mm-hmm. island
3: kid, too. I got to make a great neck joke that
1: doesn't happen all the time.
3: <laughs> I'd say I really love the uh, the animations. You guys talked about it, but just the way they would switch in the middle of the animations mm-hmm. of Belushi being an adult and also need flashback to be like the mischievous child. And, you know, and it made me think that he's like that connected him throughout the whole thing, that wherever he went, Belushi was that mischievous kid. And I love that touch. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah,
4: it was such a great documentary, so well done, and it triggered two favorite stories. The first one is uh, my first night ever in Manhattan. I was hanging out with Billy Gardell, and I was excited to be there, and we hopped in a cab. He goes, i got to show you something. The cab goes to Morton Street, and we get out of the cab, and we sit on the stoop, and Gardell looks at me, and he goes, this is Belushi's apartment.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, the one, wow. the one on the, yeah. On that, the, with the red door.
4: Yeah the, yeah, the one with the red door. Yeah, uh, yeah. Been there he, <laughs> yeah, he lived there. I was like, oh, my God. He goes, yeah, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, they probably all hung out here smoking weed. And, you know, it was just the coolest first night ever in, uh, in, in New York. And my second memory is um, the first day I went to 30 Rock as a writer for SNL. And I'm hanging out with Daryl Hammond, and we're we're getting ready to work. He goes, before we do any work, I got to show you something. And he takes me out through these hallways, and uh, we get to the stage door. I didn't know what it was. We walk through it. It turns out it's the same door that the hosts walk through when they're hosting the show. There mm-hmm. we are on the stage, and he looks at me and he goes, "This is where they did the Blues Brothers." I was like,
3: "Oh my god!" So <laughs> yeah. Like
4: my two of my favorite stories are both linked to John Belushi, and I just uh, so it, cool. It's just cool memories.
3: You know, and and I know Saturday Night Live was the launching pad for him, but think about the time when he was, when he was thirty. He had the, the top album, mm-hmm. he had the types on the top show in the country, and he was in the number one movie in the country. All of that success at such an early age. I mean, it was like he was literally on top of the world at that point. Phenomenal yeah. and a monster addiction. So there's the good and the bad with life. Yeah, yeah, there is. Well, you know, it's weird the time, the time that that happened, and you guys talk about this. Mm-hmm. You know. It, it, didn't really have the mechanism to deal with all that. He's become essentially the poster child for, you know, the cautionary tale of, of the excesses that come with supreme success. Don't you think? Well, yeah, there was no society. Didn't really know what it was or how to deal with it. They hired some guy
1: to go, get that out of your nose. Get it out of your nose. <laughs> right. What they didn't doing? know the Betty Ford clinic opened the same year he died. Cause even, even Betty Ford, the first lady of the United States, he keeps falling down. He keeps falling down. Mama needs a drink. You know, they didn't know what
2: to do. Right. I I think that's what happens when all of a sudden you're hit with this big, you know, force, this big energy, this fame. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't, if you're not rooted or don't know how to handle it, it could go go crazy.
3: And I think Belushi, as you talk about, you know, the monster appetite for everything that life brought him, Mm -hmm. you know, I think at some point he was like playing a character of himself when he was out, he was enjoying all of that. But then, and the thing that was fascinating about the documentary that they brought out that I had no idea about was these feelings of loneliness and inadequacy. And you're like, man, this guy's like on top of the world and it's this self doubt and like, I'm so alone and I'm like all this self loathing. And you're like, Dude, you're worthy of this. You're supremely talented. People love you. Yeah, but if if
1: you can't accept that, it's just, it's, it's, you still, it it doesn't register. Yeah,
2: I I was going to say, he doesn't see that.
1: Yeah, and plus
2: I think a lot of
4: that was a strained relationship that he had with his dad. That's the feeling of inadequacy. It's your relationship with your dad. And I related to that because, I mean, I had the same sort of thing with my dad. I just wanted to please him, you know, because he didn't accept me as a comic. He didn't think that that was a job. You know,
3: mm-hmm. yeah, and I think that was a battle that Belushi was was struggling with for a lot to get his father's approval, you know, and and yeah. uh, certainly he had a lot of inner demons going on, mm-hmm. but it was just remarkable to me that at the very pinnacle of success. And, you know, what, it's, and it's the way he thought of himself. And Adam, I, I think this is something you talked about. Uh, who's the guy that played D-Day? They kept referring to him as a great oh, actor,
1: Bruce McGillis. I think Bruce, Bruce McGillis, yeah, McGill. McGill. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: and he's like, "Yeah, I'm just a sketch player." And 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 I think even McGill says this in the in the in the movie. Or somebody does it in the movie that he because he was so unbelievably talented, he disregarded his own abilities out there. It's like, no, dude, you are you like a great actor. Mm, just yeah. allow yourself to be. Well,
2: right. I I think it's due to the fact that it's so easy for him. Yes. he doesn't realize that what he's doing which has come so naturally to him Mm -hmm. is something so great that we admire and um just react to
1: yeah Uh, it might have came easy to him but he was a control freak sort of like doing a podcast with his friends i can identify (laughs) 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 wait a minute you're controlling adam you're controlling well this is news don't
2: think i notice it well you have to let the art breathe
1: i'm sorry i wasn't listening i was in my own head (laughs) <laughs> to touch people that way just, just by raising his eyebrow. I know. The best eyebrows ever. Yeah, yeah just true. that energy. He just to be able to communicate that energy. And then mm-hmm. they'll, they'll give you stacks of cash because you can do that. <laughs> yep.
2: I did like the fact that he took some of that money and he bought his dad a ranch. That was good. Oh. Yes.
1: yeah. Wasn't that nice? Yeah, yeah he yeah. wanted to be he wanted to be a cowboy. An Albanian yeah. cowboy.
3: Right. <laughs> right. You know, it's funny because it talked about like the, the you know, the, 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 feelings of wanting to to do stuff for his dad and wanting, wanting that approval. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. he also, they talked about him finding his family outside of his family and the people that yeah. he brought with him to New York, like Gilda and all these people that it was like where everyone he's like, you're coming with me because that's become my, you know, my, re- my, my real life family that I'm going to be with, you know, mm-hmm. professionally and personally. And I, I, again, that was a side of Belushi. I didn't know. Now, He definitely was problematic with his behavior with a lot of stuff, but it was cool that that was his inspiration that he wanted those people around him. I think he didn't want to be alone. Yeah. You You know what? Great point. Great point. I hadn't thought of that, but yeah.
4: Yeah, and I think that you know the the or the lack of bond that he had with his father and seeking that approval all the time. That's one of the reasons why. And this came up in the documentary was the cheeseburger sketch. It was mm-hmm. all about his dad. And I love <laughs> cheeseburger, <up! laughs> <Right>. cheeseburger, <up! laughs> cheeseburger, up, cheeseburger, up, cheeseburger, cheeseburger, <laughs> You know, and uh, and and Belushi, Jim Belushi, his brother, uh, did the commentary on that and said it. And said when I was watching that for the first time, I was like, oh my god, yeah. he's doing dad. He's doing yeah. dad. You know. Yeah.
1: yeah
2: so, so you think he didn't feel good enough?
1: Yeah. No, I don't think he felt good enough at all. I think he felt the fact that he loved his grandmother. His grandmother um, didn't speak English. So there was a not not a bonding barrier, but a lack of a communication barrier. And I I think because he could he was so great at communicating non-verbally because that's how he could connect with his grandmother. Mm -hmm. That's where Mm -hmm. I think that came from. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think I even said in the interview, I mean, that stuff wasn't on the page in Animal House. (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. John yeah. Baluto you know, a Bluto walks into the cafeteria down the <laughs> aisle and he's jello, he's making that all up. Yeah, yep. he's, a, he's a true comedian. Yeah, he was yeah. a true nonverbal comedian, and I think it came from having to connect with the people he loved without a common language.
2: Oh, that's a good theory.
1: Or I could be full of shit. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it. yeah, maybe. <laughs> I want to thank R.J. Cutler for being my guest. The documentary is called Belushi on Showtime. And here at the Adam Ferrara podcast, we highly recommend it. Honey, if they want to get a hold of us, where do they go?
2: The Adam Ferrara at Gmail.
1: And please leave us a review if you have time. It helps us with our friend.
2: Mr. Algorithm.
1: Rhythm. Uh, thanks so much for supporting the show. It is growing. If you get time to tell somebody else, like, Psst, come here, put this on your phone. We'd be greatly appreciative <laughs> <laughs> Remember, life is hard. Take it easy on yourself. The pod is ended. Go in peace. You know, I love that. What kind of car did they drive? 74 Dodge Monaco.
0: It's got a cop motor, cop tires, cop suspension, cop shocks. It's a model made before catalytic converters, so it'll run good on regular gas. So what do you say? Is it the new Bluesmobile or what?
5: Fix a cigarette lighter.